Good morning, and we welcome you to our services this morning. I want to talk about the rich man and the kingdom of heaven. You know, we live in an affluent society, and whether we believe it or not, uh, we are all susceptible to its influences. I want to talk about something that our society is obsessed with. And that's an unruly desire for things. And I want to remind us about this sin, of uh, how it can affect us. That we, it can creep into our lives without us realizing it. And I want to talk about covetousness and how it relates to our attitudes toward our wealth and our uh, possessions. You know, we have no problem seeing others, seeing this behavior in others. But yet it's more difficult for us to detect it in, our, in ourselves. Covetousness is defined as to desire earnestly, to set the heart and mind upon anything. Intense desire to long after, to try to gain. Paul talks about evil concupiscence, which is lusting and uh, longing and he linked that to covetousness and said they were idolatry that's in Colossians 3 verse 5 through 6 he also defined it as unruly desires of the will such as pride ambition and envy I believe covetousness goes hand in hand with every sin because the Apostle James defines sin as the giving in to desire. The Apostle Paul linked covetousness with the works of the flesh. And he said those that do those things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus made a statement in, in Mark, the, the 10th chapter, that ought to get our attention. The Bible says, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Little ch children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier to go through the uh, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, to set the stage for what, uh, what happened prior to Jesus making this statement, we remember that the rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus showed him that his attitude toward his wealth was what was keeping him from going, uh, entering the kingdom of God, the Bible says that he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. The illustration of the camel going through the eye of a needle was perfect for those that was there when Jesus was talking about it. They understood exactly what he meant. The disciples says they were astonished at what he was saying. If you remember, most people thought when the Messiah come that he was going to set up a kingdom, an earthly kingdom. They had a misconception. Jesus pointed out that his kingdom was not of uh, 
about earthly possessions. And they were astonished at what he said because if he come to set up an earthly kingdom, it's going to take a lot of wealth to do that. And I think that's partial why they were surprised. You know, there's been considerable discussion about this verse, about the camel going through the eye of a needle, whether that referred to the eye of a, a, a sewing needle or uh, had reference to an opening, small opening in the wall at Jerusalem uh, where a camel, to, for it to go through that, they had to unload the uh, baggage off of him and he could squeeze through there. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about that. But the statement that Jesus made, the people that were standing by understood what he was talking about. And they, uh, you know, what Jesus was saying, it may have been uh, a proverbial uh, expression that signified something of great difficulty. That's what he was talking about. But regardless of which theory is correct, those that were standing by, they understood what Jesus meant. Because they said, then who can be saved? There are four individuals I want to discuss this morning that had an improper attitude toward wealth. And these men displayed these negative attitudes. These attitudes are commonly associated uh, with the increase in wealth. Then I'll sum up with an example of a, a man that knew how to manage his wealth and put it in proper perspective. They are the rich young ruler. His covetousness was a love of money more than the love of God. The rich man's covetousness was selfishness and had no compassion. The rich farmer's covetousness, he was proud of his possessions. And Judas' covetousness was greed, willing to uh, gain wealth at any cost. And finally, we have the man Job. There was an upright man that uh, had the proper attitude toward his wealth. Now, before we start the lesson, and you're thinking that this is a slam on the wealthy, please don't think that. Because I want to make a disclaimer. You do not have to be poor to enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to, uh, to have no riches or no wealth. And I'm not talking about wealth here. I'm not talking about a rich man cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Wealth is not the issue, but our attitude toward it is. Perhaps you do not consider yourself wealthy, and that's okay. But don't tune me out this morning. Because before the lesson's over, we will have admonition for everyone. Number one, the rich young ruler's covetousness was loving his money more than he loved God. You know, we referred to this account in the beginning. He came to Jesus and he said he was concerned about his spiritual well-being. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus named several commandments. He said, keep those commandments. This man said, these have I kept from my youth up, but what lack I yet? 
He understood that he lacked something, and so did Jesus. Jesus did not mention among those uh, commandments that he named off, he did not mention thou shalt not covet. The rich young ruler could honestly say that he had kept those others' commandments from his youth up. And you know, Jesus didn't even dispute what, what he said was true. In fact, the Bible says Jesus beholding him loved him. He was not an evil man. There's, uh, and there's an indication that he had a love for God because he came to Jesus and wanted to know what to do to be saved. There is no indication his wealth was acquired by a dishonest means. Nor was there any indication that he was greedy, willing to gain wealth at any cost. The problem was he just loved his money more than he loved God. His wealth managed him rather than, his wealth, uh, than him managing his wealth. The scriptures teach that if we love anything more, uh, anything or anybody more than we love God, then we're not worthy of him, and it's not acceptable. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, Paul told Timothy, for the love of money is the uh, root of all evil, which while some coveted after, have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Is that not what happened to this man? His love of him's wealth caused him to walk away from the only salvation there was, Jesus Christ. The Bible says he went away sorrowful because he had great riches. In Mark, the fourth chapter, verse 18 through 19, Jesus said, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. Uh, they are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This young man's love did just exactly what Jesus said it would do. It choked the words of life out of him, leaving no room for God. Number two, the rich man's covetousness was selfishness uh, and no compassion. In Luke, the 16th chapter, verse 19 through 21, the Bible says there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The rich man took covetousness to another level. He saw a need uh, and would not part with any of his wealth to alleviate the problem. He displayed no compassion whatsoever. Most selfish attitude of this nature has a thought process that is rather unique. That uh, rationalization or self-justification, if you will, is why should I share with anybody that's less fortunate than me or that don't have what I have? I work for mine, they can work for theirs. 
Selfishness will never show compassion. The selfish are proud of their accomplishments and show disdain for others. You know, Jesus talked about that uh, attitude in Luke, the 18th chapter, when the Pharisee and the publican went up in the temple to pray. Jesus talked about those that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And this attitude came to the conclusion that it was proper to thank God that I'm not like other men are. That I'm better than they are. You see the deceit that it can, uh, we can deceive ourselves into thinking these things. The Apostle John asked an interesting question in 1 John 3, verse 17. He says, But whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how uh, does the love of God abide in him? Think about it in terms of wealth. God has it all. Yet he had compassion on mankind for their inability to save themselves from the consequences of sin. I hope that the love of riches has not blinded us to the point that we cannot emulate the love of God. Our first example, the rich young ruler simply loved his money more than he loved God. But the rich man not only loved his money, but he wanted to keep it for himself. This man didn't even have the pretense of a love for God or his fellow man. What was the end result? The Bible says he died. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, uh, lifted up his eyes, being in torments. This is what he had to look for, forward to. Every one of these examples displays itself differently. They're all covetousness. They all display themselves a little differently. But they all have one thing in common, and that is the love of money. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 13, There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for its owner, for their owner, to his hurt. Number three, the rich farmer's covetousness was pride in his possessions. He loved his money, and he was very proud. He was lifted up in pride, with pride. In Luke, the 12th chapter, I'm not going to read this, but you, it's on the screen. But he talks about the, uh, his crops yielded well, and he didn't know what to do with it. He's going to tear down his barns and build others. And then he was going to store all of his goods and say, take your ease. You got it made. But God said, fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose are these things going to be that you provided? There's an attitude that seems to go hand in hand with the accumulation of wealth. The inclination is to be lifted up with pride, feeling self-sufficient, with the end result, forgetting God. 
You know, the Bible talks to the children of Israel, Moses and God talks to them over and over again about the accumulation of wealth. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 10, this was the discussion. He says, whenever uh, you're brought into this land, notice what he says, and God's going to give you cities which you did not build. Houses full of good things which you did not fill. Wells which you did not dig. Trees that you did not plant. And when you have eaten and are full, he says, beware lest you forget God. Over and over again, God warned his people about whenever you have accumulated wealth, the tendency is to get to feeling self-sufficient. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 17, he talked about whenever you've, your possessions has increased, and you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gained me this wealth. And you shall remember that the Lord your God Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power uh, to get wealth. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 19, Command those who are rich in this present age to not be haughty, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Those that trust in wealth, as a rich young farmer did, has what I call a bulletproof mentality. And uh, the psalmist talked about that in Psalms 49, beginning with verse number 6. He says, those that trust in wealth and boast of the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God ransom for him, for the redemption of their souls is costly. And it shall cease forever that he should not continue to live eternally and not see the pit. Now, notice what he says. For he sees men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations and they call their lands uh, after their own names. He says they trust and boast of themselves in riches. And he said even with all the power that they have from their riches, they cannot redeem one soul that it should not spend eternity in hell. But he says their inner thought, what they're thinking is, I'm in good shape. The way they live their life says what they're thinking. I'm going to live forever. Everything is going to continue just like it always has. And there'll be a no end uh, to my, uh, my possessions and what I have. That bulletproof attitude simply says, others die, but it won't happen to me. But Job said in Job 21, verse 13, they spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. 
Job said, they spend their lives trusting in riches, but said they're going to die just like everybody else. The question is today, if your soul was required of you, where would you spend eternity? Number four, I want to talk about the covetousness of Judah. His covetousness added another dimension. His was greed, willing to gain wealth at any cost. In John the 12th chapter, beginning with verse number 3, the Bible says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrance not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money bag and he used to take what was put in it. The ESV says he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself uh, and to what was put in it. That's the reason the Bible called him a thief. Because he carried the money uh, of the apostles and Jesus. He carried all their money. And he used to help himself to it. And you know, that wasn't even his money. But he longed for money. For riches. Judas's covetousness was uh, at a, another level entirely from all the rest of those people. You know, I said in the beginning that there would be admonition for every one of us. You know, we tend to think that covetousness is synonymous with the wealthy. But that's not always the case. In the beginning, we defined covetousness as unruly desires of the will, such as pride, ambition, and envy. A person can love riches and covet them. He can long farm to where that's all that he thinks about. That's his whole life. They can be greedy and try to gain wealth, spend their life gaining wealth, and never have what we consider to be great riches. There wasn't any indication that Judas was wealthy, but he did have an unruly desire to be rich. Judas's concern was not for the poor. He just loved having control of the money bag so he could help himself to the money. Judas's actions showed what was in his heart. One unique characteristic of greed is the willingness to gain wealth at any cost. In Matthew 26, beginning with verse number 14, the Bible says then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? 
And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Judas let greed consume him. He wanted wealth, and he didn't care how he got it. That is evident by his betrayal of the master for 30 pieces of silver. You know, there's a lot of discussion about what that, how much that was. My research is correct. It was about $197 in our currency today. But needless to say, Judas sold his soul cheap. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This is exactly what Judas did. He caused, uh, it caused him much sorrow. His greed led to betrayal of Jesus. Jesus' murder, shame, guilt, and the end result, he finally took his own life. The pursuit of riches can consume our lives to where that's all we think about. And soon riches become our life. And whenever riches make their wings and fly away, as the Bible talks about, then we uh, have no life because that's what we've devoted our life to. This was evident back in 1929 when the stock market crashed. Thousands of people lost everything they had. And they decided that their life wasn't worth living, and they took their own life. You know, we have talked about four negative attitudes. Covetousness that was a love of money more than the love of God. Covetousness that was a love of money that produced selfishness. A hard heart that cared for no one. Covetousness that was a love of money which produced a bulletproof mentality of pride, an attitude of self-sufficiency, and the end result was there was no room for God. Then there was a covetousness that was a love of money that produced an unrooted desire for wealth and greed which mentally blocked out the knowledge of God and pursued wealth at any cost. I'll repeat the question that Jesus asked. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the answer is, if we have these attitudes, uh, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I dare say that that is the eye of a literal sewing needle. Let me remind everyone whether you're rich or whether you're poor, we all can have these attitudes. The attitude we have toward riches shows what's in our heart. Whether we have little or much, we can love that more than we love God. Rich or poor, 
selfishness, pride, greed, all these attitudes we've talked about, no, no boundaries. Now, having said all this, it's not fair to assume that every rich man falls into one of these four categories that we previously talked about. For there are wealthy people that manage their wealth rather well. And I want to talk about that attitude. This is the positive attitude toward wealth. And I want to talk about a godly man. I want to mention Hezekiah, first of all. The Bible says that Hezekiah was exceedingly, uh, had exceedingly great riches uh, and honor. The Bible also says he, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Then there was Job. And I mentioned these two to make my point. In Job 1, verse 1, the Bible says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless uh, and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. Not only was Job a godly man, but the Bible says that he was greatest of all the men of the East. He had great wealth, but it not, did not become between him and his service to God. Not only that, but Job, Job exemplified godly characteristics when he lost it all. He made the statement when he, when he had lost it all, Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? His point was, are we going to serve God only in the good times? In Philippians 4, verse 2, 12, Paul says, I know how to abound, and I know how, to, I mean, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. Learning contentment is just as hard in the prosperous times as it is in the hard times. But Job and uh, Paul, they put things in perspective. And they realized that wealth was not what it was all about. Serving God was. You know, Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that's the whole duty of man. We all know the chain of events that happened with Job. Satan was trying to prove that he could make Job curse God by taking away his family, his wealth, and then inflicting his body with sores. In Job 1, verse 20 through 22, the Bible says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Listen to what Job said about his riches. In Job 31, verse 24, he says, I, If I have made gold my hope, 
are said to find gold. You are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, if I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness so that my heart uh, has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment. For I would have denied God who is above. You know, I thought that was interesting, that statement, if I have kissed my hand. Well, what's he saying there? He's saying, if I'm saying this is my, of my own accord, I got this wealth. It was all about me. He says, if I've done this, it is an iniquity that should be punished. The reason being that he denied God. Those others that we sh- talked about with that negative attitudes toward wealth, that's what they did. Their attitudes pushed God plumb out of their lives. There was no room left for them. You know, these men's story has been written. And it's passed. It's been told. But we're still writing ours. We're not told of all the decisions these men made on a daily basis when they were younger. But I'm going to tell you, each one of them made choices daily. They made choices that formulated their attitude toward their wealth. Wealth can be a true blessing or it can be a curse. In Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 15, Jesus said, uh, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things one possesses. Are we listening to God's warnings? Jesus and the apostles listed or used strong language when describing the uh, results of these uh, bad attitudes toward wealth. Words such as deceitfulness of riches, choking the word, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. They become involved in many foolish and hurtful lusts that drown men in perdition and destruction. And they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. The intent of the lesson this morning is to encourage each of us to evaluate our attitudes toward our riches, whether, uh, whether much or little. Take an honest look and identify what's in your heart. Then make the appropriate changes if need be. We read 1 Timothy 6 and 17, a part of it in the beginning, but I want to read it uh, all the way through 19. Paul told Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation to the, for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. 
folks, that's what it's all about, is laying hold on eternal life. We face struggles every day. We have temptations every day. We succumb to temptations every day. But I'm going to tell you, God is there for us. And he wants to strengthen us. He wants to uphold us. And he wants to help us uh, avoid these temptations. That's why the Bible warns us about these things. God knew that this was going to be a tendency of man. That's why all the warning. So we can be uh, attuned to that. We can be watchful of that to make sure we don't fall into that trap. The admonition today is to stay focused. Heaven will surely be worth it all. I want to ask you this morning, are you struggling spiritually? Do you need prayers for strength? I'm going to tell you, God is there for you. You can cast your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. Has sin choked the uh, words of life out of your heart? John says if we confess our faults, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, being baptized into Jesus' death, coming in contact with that precious blood that will wash away your sins, we want to encourage you to do that this morning. It's a perfect time. The invitation of our Lord is to everyone. He said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is what he uh, proposes to you. He asks you to come. If we can assist you with a spiritual need, would you come as we stand and sing?